You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 447 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, guys. Hi, there. Seth is back from the Faroe Islands. I am. Uh, did Did you smuggle a puffin? I did not smuggle a puffin back in with me, but uh, I got some good pictures, so we'll have to do stuff. How was immigration at Newburgh? Um, <laughs> amusing in many ways. Uh, they have so play also flies daily, okay, or, or six times a day, whatever. So on the on the day that this flight arrives, play has already come in an hour prior, so they're there, anyways. Um, but play had fully cleared out. We were, I mean, with global entry, the global entry kiosks were broken. If you had your card, they'd let you cut the line. If not, you had to go to the regular line, which is obnoxious uh, at multiple levels. There was no one in front of me, so it didn't matter other than I had to snake through the lane more than uh, one of our friends who did have his card with him. But there was no one in front of me, so I got through pretty quickly. Um, I would say that they had three lanes. They were all staffed, you know, for... 80 or 100 people coming in, that's pretty good. Even for 150 on the play flights or 180 on the play flights, I'd say that that could clear pretty quickly. Um, mm. Obviously, better if global entry comes back. I will note that because it was like a media flight and an, an inaugural whatever, there was a bunch of people on board on the, from the Pharaoh side who were like taking pictures inside immigration. <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny is me and Rob get up to the line and the woman there is telling us like he can go through and I can't and I have to go to the other side. And in the meantime, like as we start going, one of the guys starts yelling no from his booth across the room, obviously trying to tell these people to stop taking pictures, but not using his good words. He's just yelling no sort of. And so Rob and I both looked at each other like, did we screw up? And then we realized we were okay. Um, He gets out of his booth. He goes walking over and like in a huff, something, 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 you guys got to stop this comes back. And one of the other guys there reminds him, uh, that the CEO is on board and maybe we should be nice today. <laughs> um, and it devolved into, uh, without getting into the details, it devolved into a that's what she said joke, which was particularly awkward. Um, so yeah. So yeah, the, the CBP guys dropped a that's what she said. Uh, it was, I mean, it was actually well done uh, as those go, but it was, uh, yeah, immigration was fine. The rental car situation is a mess though. It's both. Uh, I guess like Enterprise and Hertz or Avis are have facilities there. Hertz doesn't. Both of them are closed at six o'clock, and the pl- the flight's not even scheduled to land until six forty. But they're both, I think, something late. Like both of them are closed when the flight's scheduled to land. Uh, the Enterprise guy was like, "Nope, I go home at six. Sorry." Avis left the keys in an envelope behind the counter and said, "Just come get them." And like you know, the name was printed there, the keys were there. You walk by the counter, got your keys, and left. So if you want to steal cars, go hang out at the Avis counter, I guess, is the moral of the story. So, go ahead. Go ahead. I just don't understand these small airports where the rental car counters aren't open when the flights get in. And just then. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't get it at all. I, I want to know, who carries their GE card? Rob. But he's like the only person I know. Yeah, I very much don't. So... I would like to hear from listeners if they carry their their global entry card. I know that people that like go to Canada or live close to Canada or Mexico probably carry it because it's an easy you can get in and out of the country with it. Yeah, quickly. But 
I don't. Yeah. Anyway. And it's not the first time. It's not the first time I've heard people can bypass lines with a GE card. Like yeah, I've gone or Canadian immigration. You have to have it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or for you get it for the security line. You need it. Yep. Exactly. Like I, I travel with my Nexus card, but not my GE card. Yeah. I don't know. They may have accepted the Nexus card because they wouldn't. And I don't know. Anyway, that was uh, the final bit that was interesting on that. Yeah. The rental car bit was super funny. Um, Redway. Uh, the airline that was going to start service at a Lincoln, Nebraska, the nexus of a hub, uh, is dead. Yeah, they started, man. It wasn't just that they were gonna. They did it. <laughs> well, they, I mean, yeah. Two months. Two months. <laughs> you know, it makes the most sense to start an airline in a college town during the summer when the students aren't there. Uh, they burned through $2 million of uh, federal money. And have decided that announced that they're going to shut down with very little notice at the end of the month, which is Thursday. So, so when do we start our U- our airline? Wait, free money? Yes. <laughs> so here's my question: Like Global uh, Express was the carrier, right? So they clearly got paid, and there were two other layers of middlemen in between that clearly <laughs> also took a little bit of got. One was sort of like managing the like one managed the charter and one managed the bookings or something like that. Cranky. I'll, we put a, I put a note, uh, link in the show notes. Brett had a pretty good breakdown of sort of the structure of the sort of mar- the nesting dolls, the Russian nesting dolls of where the money goes. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that the real f- interesting bit is like if you do the math, they did, they operated roughly 260 flights and burned roughly $2 million and had roughly 19,000 passengers. That's about 75 passengers a flight, mm-hmm. 151 seat plane. So Gosh, 150% load factor turns out is not sustainable. Um, you know, they they claim there's obviously some trying to put a good stiff upper lip out there. Oh, we've demonstrated that some of these markets really do exist. So hopefully an airline with better cost uh, basis can come in and capture those markets is the message that's being sent now. I, I think that that's probably a little excessively optimistic, but yeah. I- yeah, I don't I don't understand how uh, I don't know. It's just, this is a good idea. Yeah, it's well, one of the things I thought was interesting is there was a note because so the other way you get money, federal money uh, is through the small community air service development program, mm-hmm. which we've talked about sometimes in the past. We didn't really cover this year's applications because I never got around to reading them. But they like Lincoln had participated in the past. And that's one where you've got to put up local money as well. You got to get local merchants and what in the airport and everybody just to agree on some of the funds. So this was, I'll say, more free as money goes. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to get a bunch of local businesses to find a quarter million dollars and also compete through an application process and maybe not get award, get the award and fill out a bunch of forms and such. Uh, this was just they, they managed to get it differently through the feds, through a different, you know, through this COVID relief fund, whatever. So. Uh, but the last time they did it, they tried to have service for a while. It was flew to DFW, then it flew to Houston, and then it collapsed. So even with subsidies, the majors or network airlines don't seem to like it either. <laughs> the the load, I mean, the load factor is great for the passengers. I mean, yeah, it's like to see going forward on the Air Islands flight too. Um, for them, it's sort of on purpose because they're weight restricted. But you know, I'm torn. Right, like fifty percent load factor isn't. I'm surprised if they really had a 50% load factor 
it collapsed as quickly as it did. That means it was a 50% load factor with like no fair revenue. Yeah. I'm, I was trying to do the rough math based on some other charter stuff we'd done of like how much would it cost per hour or per flight to run those charters. And right, I'd, I'd like to think that they got something of a discount off rack rate because it was a sort of just base a plane here and we can use it for a while. You have the pilots move here or whatever. Um, I don't know, but it's if you do $2 million across 250 flights, it's like $7,500 a flight, $7,700 a flight. Mm-hmm. Average subsidy, maybe. A hundred bucks fare revenue per passenger is another seventy five hundred to ten thousand dollars. Like, is seventeen thousand bucks is obviously not enough, but like, how much is enough? Where's the Where's the money go? Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, Finnair, Avios, it's uh, gone revenue based. We've talked about that, but they are uh, going revenue based for status as well. Yeah, did we talk about it? I don't think we did. Oh, well, maybe we just talked about it offline. And yeah, our, our, it was supposed to be in the topics in yep. many of the copies that didn't make the cut uh-huh. <laughs> or recording. Uh, yeah, they're doing so. They've switched to Obvious, and that part I can't say I'm. It's a terrible surprise. The the interesting thing to me about that is we you talk you hear airlines talk about like how important. Um, loyalty is to the program and in the u.s certainly that's a massive money maker but that's tied to third parties and especially credit cards in other parts of the world where you're not allowed to have a three percent discount rate and have the credit cards make massive cash off transactions the credit card business isn't as strong and so then is the loyalty program really that compelling and it when you see things like yet another airline picking obvious instead of trying to roll their own you got to wonder yeah I I mean the revenue for status is a little interesting. Is that does that line up with anybody else's BA like that? No, no one else. In, well, I don't want to say no one because that's a broad term. But in Europe, it is still typically tier points of some sort, if I remember right. correctly. So, is it revenue based? No, but it sort of is, right? Like premium fares do get way more tier points. It's, you yeah. get five points for a short haul flight in Europe in economy class, maybe 10, depending on which fare your class you're booked in. And you get 90 for premium economy and 150 for business class. So, you know, there, there's some, so it's, loosely, it's, it's loosely tied, right? There's some margin there. Like if I can get a cheap premium economy ticket. That's great. Yeah. But, but, but Finnair going revenue based for their loyalty is, is a, is a switch. It's a change. Yeah. Interesting. Who's who's left out then of Avios that's not, I guess, Alaska American? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, from a one world perspective, yeah, at most still, right? I mean, Cathay isn't hasn't done it. There's a bunch, but it's the IAG group and now Qatar and then Finnair. It's clearly becoming a more compelling. Yeah, what do you think, Faz? I mean, I guess the question is: Is the next iteration alliance based? award programs and will the individual airlines be able to give up the revenue hmm. it's a good question i mean if if it makes management easier right management of the program itself easier from a centralized perspective i don't know that it does but if it if it did maybe that's compelling enough maybe i mean I, you know I, for programs I, I think part of the other challenge of it is like i don't think we'll see it in the americas simply because the American programs are so monetized. 
Right. But when you look at the rest of the world, the programs aren't nearly as monetized, particularly from the credit card aspect. Mm. So there's less upside for them in having their own programs. Would, I mean, do you think it would expose too much to the airlines? Like they would, if they shared a program, like are they kind of exposing their finances a little too much? I mean, not necessarily because you, in theory, Avios is still an independent entity Mm -hmm. and can't share data from Finair to BA. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, in, yeah, they're they're not supposed to say, all they know is how much, in theory, maybe they sort of know how much money they got paid, but even that's because it's a subsidiary, but IAG is technically, who knows that, not BA or Mm -hmm. Myriad. Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun to think about in a way, but it's also, I I mean, I, I think the airlines are slowly getting rid of, rid of the sweet spots, right? Anyway, like of redemptions. They're, they've, they've killed off, you know, oh, you know, you found this nice 50,000 mile business class fare to wherever. Um, they've, they've killed those off. They said, we're not going to, we'll bump those up. Um, so does it really matter if, if, if it makes it easier to redeem? I'm kind of okay with it, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's easier for, and at what price? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it goes back. I, I think there's a day of reckoning coming, right? There's go, we're hitting a point where it doesn't make sense to accrue points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens to all these programs? I mean, I don't know the loyalty falls off. I mean, that's kind of like what Seth is saying, right? Like, in the in Europe, it hasn't been the, the indicator for loyalty. Maybe that that's what happens in the United States too. Well, I mean, the, the look, everyone's the common folks are being enticed to sign up for a credit card with the hopes for seats to Florida during summer break or spring break. When they can, when they get to the point where they can't get any seats for any reasonable amount of time, yeah, or any reasonable amount of uh, points, it's just going to be like, why am why do I have this credit card? Why am I bothering? Yeah, yeah, or you know, you get the you get the two lounge passes or whatever, but you can't ever use them. Yeah. Exactly. It's well, <laughs> only on Delta, really. I mean, it's on United too. At the new Newark Club, they had the sign up. No, oh, no, well, it's it, it, with United, it's hit or miss. With Delta, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah. Um, Southwest, uh, they've made some changes. Uh, they've made some. They've got standby on. I don't know what WGA is. Want to get away? They're cheap oh. fare class. Okay, so you can do standby from flight to flight. I'm guessing now. Yeah. So it's historically that was only Want to Get Away Plus. Uh, not the cheapest. So not the cheapest. It was like a forty dollar up fare. And the the other thing that Want to Get Away Plus has is uh, when you refund a ticket, it goes to anybody's name as opposed to only the named passenger. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that. I will say, Southwest standby benefit is better than the first time they announced it because the first time they announced it, it had a really tight window of eligible. Like you had to be within four hours of the next flight. And I ran a query against their schedule day and I was like, oh, like 3% or 10% of their flights maybe would have an alternate that could be available. It was a very small number. Uh, as an aside, I ran into some of their executives. I was like, how did you do that? And I was like, I had some access to some data. And they're like, yeah, we had to change the policy because we realized how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. Um, but it's it's a nice enough benefit that, but, you know, like mostly is beneficial for getting on an earlier flight. And if the mo- early morning flights are always very full, the value of it is limited. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense. And then, and then business select is <clears throat> getting free Wi-Fi. Yeah. So 
currently it's eight dollars per flight. It used to just be eight dollars uh, per uh, day, and they changed it. I think in part because they added multiple providers and tracking it across both is difficult. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, eight bucks. You get to save the eight bucks, um, which is mostly a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I like having the free Wi-Fi option. I wish you know more of the domestic carriers would do. You know, if you're in first or whatever, you know, yeah, free free Wi-Fi. It'd be nice. Yeah, yeah it's it's weird in some ways to add that as like it's a nice benefit, but it's seems hard to believe that anybody's going to actually buy for that. Yeah, sense, right. Like, I'm not going to pay forty dollars extra for an eight dollar or even sixteen dollars worth of free internet. No, it's it's a nice perk to have. Yeah. With the yeah. everything else that comes with this slot, yeah. So, but oh yeah, overall that's a, it's a nice setup, I think, in terms of what they're making available. Yeah, um, Aer Lingus and has announced some U.S. routes. What did they announce? They announced Minneapolis and Denver. Denver, yeah. Wait, they announced, then they withdrew, then they re. Yeah, they, announced, they clearly were planning to announce Minneapolis and accidentally filed a little too soon. <laughs> really? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Pretty great. Um, so Denver, Denver is interesting. I think Minneapolis has existed before, right? Yes. Minneapolis is coming back. Denver, I believe, is new. Uh, so and then Delta very quickly announced Minneapolis service as well, like eight hours later. So they they probably do. It was coming. I mean, they, if they filed early, too. So. Well, I think from the filing early, they certainly knew. Um whether they knew beyond that, who can say, but did not waste much time in that. Uh, it makes you wonder, though, if they're so fast on filing, why didn't they original? like, why don't they run this route? I mean, they clearly know there's some demand there. Yeah. But I guess they just didn't want to allocate a plane to it. Well, Delta doesn't have a narrow body that could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Delta's got a wide body for this. Yeah. So is it a 330 then on Aer Lingus? No, Aer Lingus has the 321neo. Uh, I got you. And Delta doesn't yet. Or they do, but not in a long haul configuration. Gotcha. Uh, and then Denver will be at 330, I'm guessing. I believe so. Yeah, I don't think they could do that on a 321neo. Um, and then Americans Summer 24 expansion. Tell me all about it, Seth. Uh, well, gosh, I wrote this in the notes like two weeks ago, and now I don't remember. Five new cities, three new cities, five new routes. Um. Copenhagen, Barcelona. Barcelona was an existing station from O'Hare, wasn't it? Uh, no, they were. It's Filio, but Barcelona exists. They're right. adding, and Miami, Barcelona comes and goes, but they're adding O'Hare. Okay. Yeah. Um. Hang on. Yeah. There's that. There. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Sorry, my computer is a little funny with having this recording happening at the same time. But yeah, it's um. It's coming, it's coming. Uh, Philly to Naples, Philly to Copenhagen, and Philly to Nice, and then DFW to Barcelona, and bringing back Chicago to Venice. I mean, all 787s in the summer. I will say I'm surprised that they're adding the capacity of Philly, not Charlotte. Why why are you surprised? Because they haven't really expanded anything at Philly. Mm. They've been dumping more and more capacity onto Charlotte. I mean, do you think this is tied to some of the JFK stuff? Yes. I, I, I mean, they're going to say no, but yeah. How do you think it's tied to the JFK stuff? You're not going to fly people from JFK to Philly. No, but they were, with their limited capacity, they sort of had to grow in JFK. 
to meet the needs or uh, the requirements of the feds. Mm-hmm. And now that the NEA is dead, they can grow where it's actually useful for connecting flow, which Charlotte also would be, but Philly gives them that and lets them, they've got a pretty good connecting flow through Philly. They're shorter flights. I bet there's some uh, pilot and crew cost issues associated with that, that it's because they're shorter set, uh, stage length and well, utilization. And they have a 7-8 base in Philly. They don't let JFK. Right. And they are all 7-8 routes. So, um, Also, speaking of them moving stuff around, remember they moved their Philly flight, uh, or their JFK to Qatar flight down to Philly? Yeah. Uh, Qatar Airways has now canceled theirs. Hold it from the schedule. <laughs> so it's, but, but put a third one into JFK. So it's obvious that they're sort of sharing capacity there. Yeah. Um I, I when I first saw these route announcements, I was like, "So this looks like a copy and paste of United's homework, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, I, like this." I thought the same thing. I'm like, "Wait, I feel like I've seen this before." <laughs> it's just, it's funny. Like, I did they not? Did they not? Uh, they don't have any original work that they can produce. They just hired the same ad agency. <laughs> just change that first uh, three letters to PHL or DFW, and we'll be good. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, United has yet to fly Copenhagen. That, that's true. Fair yeah. Oslo, they've done Stockholm, but they have not done Copenhagen. They used to do Copenhagen, right? Nope. Really? Yeah, that was the one they never did. Ah, didn't realize that. Um, I mean, it's good. I think it's good for travelers. It, clearly, these routes are making money this summer for United. So, American sees that and says, we could do the same thing. Um, so, makes some sense. Uh, Porter has some new routes, and they're all to Florida. Shocking. <laughs> uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, uh, Fort Myers, and Tampa. From all from Toronto, I'm guessing. All from Toronto, and these are uh, E95, E2195s. So these are their Embraer jets, not uh, not the Dash Eights. And I'm guessing this is all winter, right? Uh, I think they're year rounds. Oh, okay. I have I don't hold me to that, but I think they might be year round. Yeah. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's good for Canadians trying to get out of the cold. Um, I always find it fascinating, everybody that wants to go to Florida. It it confounds me more than, than Hawaii. And everyone on Twitter explained to me a long time ago, they were like, well, Hawaii makes sense because there's just so much to like, there's so much beauty and it's like a place you've never been and it's domestic and yada, yada. But Florida? It's the only place you've never been if you've never been there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Florida, I mean, I mean, I know you're from there, Seth, so I'm not going to. Oh yeah. And I definitely am a huge fan of this state. <laughs> when it's ass cold and you need to get the hell out and fall, Florida will suffice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True. It is warm there all year round. <laughs> when all you look at is ice and snow, you'll see a little sand, even if it's not a hundred degrees is, you know, nice on the eyes. Make yeah, promise it's going to be closer to 100 degrees more than not these days. But yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, um, El Al is making uh, some changes. Uh, they they were they're really trying to push connections or stopovers in Tel Aviv uh, as the passengers make their way to Africa, Middle East, and Asia. Uh, yeah, and this this is an interesting one. They had sort of teased this as an opportunity when I spoke with the CEO last year. I'm trying to remember now when that was. Um, I think it was last year in Dublin, last summer. Um, and so it clearly is something of interest to them, but now it's getting to be a bigger 
issue, an okay. argument issue, but they're they're definitely trying to uh, make it happen. Uh, it, mostly, they're talking about you know highlighting no, so you can get a stopover fare, so you can have a fair break, you can, you can do a fair break in Tel Aviv, and you know no no passport required for U.S. citizens or no visa required. Excuse me, definitely a passport, no visa required for U.S. citizens for ninety day tourist visits. So. Mm. Um, I know if I remember correctly, the Israel is still trying to negotiate visa waiver program access. <laughs> and so this may be sort of tied to that in terms of trying to make it easier for people to visit, but I can't say for sure. Where do you think they want to push customers the most? I mean, I, I guess Africa kind of makes some sense. Middle East makes some sense, but pushing them to Asia seems like a stretch, right? And what doesn't, but yeah, I mean, it's Southeast Asia stuff. So. Oh, okay. Still, still feels a little wonky going. Yeah, it, but now that they have overflight rights for uh, Saudi Arabia and they can go through instead of going around, uh, also Dubai. Um, yeah. So onward connection to Dubai and onward connection to Bangkok are the two big markets they're pushing right now. Gotcha. Interesting. I wonder how they. I wonder how it's going to be dealt with. I mean, there's some of these places. You know, if you get an Israeli visa, it's hard to get into the country that you may want to connect to. I don't know. It just seems it's interesting. Well, so. There's also culture shift that you have. They have to conquer of like going to predominantly Muslim countries or, you know, there's a large portion of those people who are Muslim. Will they file fly in Israeli airline? No, that's true. Yeah. Good point. Or vice versa. Yeah. Very true. Especially like Indonesia or, you know, somewhere like mm-hmm. that. So, right. Um, Monarch. Making a comeback in the UK. Never thought that's a, that's a sentence I never thought I would see in this show notes. <laughs> After that chaos, yeah, <laughs> the largest non-wartime repatriation effort in UK history. One hundred ten thousand people, and now they're saying we're back. Yeah, so again, what it appears is someone basically bought out the intellectual property. Oh, okay. Bought out the brand and is bringing it back. Wow. Why? Because they're convinced that the brand matters when it comes to convincing people to buy airplane tickets. I guess someone on Twitter was talking about bringing back, bringing back, bringing back Midwest Express for the same reason. It's like again, that's been tried before and it doesn't work. But sure, you do you. Could we point these people to Eastern or Pan Am? Hey, listen, man, Eastern Three is still flying. What one route? Occasionally, <laughs> when they when they can get the plane working. Yeah. They had big plans until they missed their ETOPS certification and now haven't doesn't seem like they've tried again. So that's that's awkward. Oh, man. I mean, I don't see this taking off. I mean, not no pun intended. I don't see it taking off. But I think like people are trying to make a book on whether this gets off the ground before uh, global airlines. So, you know, oh, I I would say this has much more of a chance. (laughs) But you still don't think it's going to go. But I still don't think it's going to (laughs) go. Oh, man. Um Qantas made a wide body order um, and there's some interesting stuff about their shift away from Los Angeles or a potential shift away. So they ordered 12 A350 1000s, four 787-9s and eight 787-10s and they'll take these from uh, fiscal year 2027. So a little ways off, but that's a lot of planes. It is. What's their, um, what's the shift there. about? Oh, sorry. You have to give, sorry. Just given their existing size. Yeah, yeah. But is it really when they, their 330s are coming to of age? 
I'm guessing that's what they're there to replace, right? Some of these 787-9s maybe to replace, or I guess the A350s could too, but I would think those are for the Project Sunrise stuff. I mean, the original, this is separate from Sunrise. Oh, okay, okay. So 12, the, the 350s might be to replace the 380s. They are. They're 350,000s. Um, so yeah, they are basically to replace uh, the 380s. And there's going to be some overlap, but that's the target. Um, and then the 787s, uh, the Dash 9s can replace 330s. The 10s, less so. Where do you, what do you think they do with the 10s? Southeast Asia, New Zealand? I would guess Southeast Asia more than New Zealand. They do a lot of trans-Tasman stuff on single aisles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And then what's this shift away from Los Angeles? I mean, are they so one of the capacity? As the 380s disappear, and to be clear, like, they don't have that many more seats than a 350 1000 does mm. in the Project Sunrise 20-hour config. Um, but as the 350s disappear, or excuse me, 380s disappear and get replaced by 350s, the number of seats into LA will go down. And Joyce, if I remember correctly, is on his way out, yeah. is also saying that he expects to see more flights to Seattle or Dallas or other places where they can connect either bring people who want to go there or connect to the American network and not just dump everybody into LA. Now I assume part of that is because making the, the planes have the longer range can get to these other places. Part of it is because American doesn't have as good of an onward connection feed at LA as it used to. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is just cause you know, they can. So it's not that, uh, it's going to go away completely. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. On the slight tangent, I questioned my sanity this morning. I went to Flyer Talk this morning, and but there was an interesting nugget I read, which may, which may really like piques my curiosity in this order, which is BAU is shifting away from Amer- uh, the three fifties in favor of seven eight nines, and the reason they're doing that is because they cannot get a pre- preferable maintenance contract out of rolls for the engine. And the on-wing time of the G and uh, X is far higher than the Trent 1000. So less maintenance engine-wise. And yes, and GE uh, has much more lucrative ma- uh, maintenance plans. Hmm. And so because of that, they're shifting away from the 350s, which then goes back to the age-old engine conversation of how much it starts to raise the question of how much time did the Trents have to come off a wing versus a seven, uh, Gen X? Yeah. And what happens to something like, is it, do the airlines now need to start stocking extra engines? Like, is Qantas going to have to have an extra engine at New York and uh, Sydney at any given time? Hmm. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think about, you know, and with Qantas in particular doing extremely long stage lengths or very long stage lengths. Um, I, I mean, to me, that seems like a no brainer that you would have to keep an engine around and that you're, you would be, susceptible to cancellations and, and delays because of engine issues. So, but you, they had to have thought about that, though, right? Like buying the plane? I think they expected that the planes were going to have better on-wing time. Then they're going to have better on-wing time. Yeah. But like you think about the United diversion a few months ago in the South Pacific on its way to Sydney. Yeah. Like what happens to that, right? If it's a more <laughs> common occurrence, right? That was... A rare occurrence, and I think in all the years of seven days of flying, we've only seen that once. You're talking about the Pago Pago? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, what does Qantas do if that, even if that happens once a year? 
Yeah. That's a logistical logistical nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I keeping an engine in I mean, it's it's also you're keeping these actual extra, extra engines just lying around in New York or whatever and for the you know, just in case scenario yeah. isn't the most effective thing to do. Yeah, it is worth. I don't know if you guys saw American had two seven eight triple uh, sevens that needed engine swaps in the last couple of weeks. They had to fly a, an engine out of JFK to Charlotte, and then a few days later they had to fly one to Seattle. So as an engine, I've got some good some good charter money there. Wait, I'm guessing in, what's in Seattle that they needed an engine there seven seven two for London London. Yeah, oh, the London flight. Okay, it's not dead yet. I'm surprised they didn't just fly it on a single engine out to LA or something. <laughs> Yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, any different than this? Uh, what was a three forty five hundred flying at ten thousand feet from Australia to the UAE? Oh, that's true. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, because they had three engines. See, <laughs> <laughs> they burned a lot of fuel. Um, and then Max, some Max updates out of China. Uh, China airframes are starting to do checkout flights, and that's yeah, Bloomberg. Yeah, Bloomberg had a story about uh, planes actually starting to move, and it seems that within the next several weeks, we may finally, finally, finally start seeing deliveries to China happening again. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. But, you know, not just talking about it. Now it's actually like planes are moving and getting back into service and getting prepped for customer inspection delivery flights. But this comes on the heels, though, of Spirit Aerosystems more yeah, coming out there. Just continuing to put holes in the wrong places. I, yeah, I don't understand this. Like, isn't this you? Ha- you have one job, isn't that the phrase? <laughs> so, like, and so what's going on? There, I mean, so they found there's been some inspections where they've they've drilled or done work on parts of a plane where they shouldn't have. Basically, yeah, yeah, lovely, <sighs> lovely stuff, lovely. Uh, gentlemen, I think that's a show. We've got some bonus topics. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about credit cards um, and then uh, some S- uh, FAA warnings about uh, you know, pilots claiming VA disability um, and then some promo stuff from Southwest and uh, upscale air charters may get a little bit of a crackdown as well as uh, some redaction action from JetBlue and Spirit. You like that redaction action? Anyway, yeah. Uh, stick around if you're a Patreon subscriber. You get to hear that. Um, but if you're not, I was gonna say a special shout out if I can to some of our recent subscribers, uh, Ben Z, Connor G, Nikita S, Keith M, Matt W, and Lillian M. Uh, thank you as always, much appreciated. Hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Yeah, and uh, feel free to leave us a comment or tweet us, or I guess we should get a mastodon at some point. Do whatever you do, threads us. I don't know. So <laughs> I miss old social media. Anyway, smoke signals. Smoke signals are useful. Yes. But just email. <laughs> People are surprisingly good at tracking me down on email when I don't think they can. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Email us. We'll go old school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you next time.